Well, week 20 of 72. We're walking through the book of uh, Mark as, as a church, looking at what does it mean to be in Christ? Who is this Jesus that we talk about? And uh, we are coming to Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you, open it up. Uh, eat up this, uh, this section of Scripture because I think it's really going to speak to us alive and in powerful ways this morning. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some uh, Bibles along our aisles here. Just kind of flag people down. Open up a Bible. Seriously, open up a Bible, read it, and it's page 697 for those of you who need to quick flip there. Um, Jesus has just gotten through with an extremely long day, an extremely long day where he has uh, done face-to-face battle with the Pharisees. You know, they've said, you know what, Jesus, I am pretty sure that you are in cahoots with uh, the devil. In fact, I think we're going to call you the devil. And, you know, Jesus has this intense conversation with them, and it's not pretty. And after that, he goes and he has, he brings all these people together and says, listen, this is what the kingdom of God is like. There's soil, and there's seed of the gospel that is being spread out. And then he goes on to say, listen, and the kingdom of God is like uh, a lamp. And this, this, this lamp needs to be able to set, be set out into a public place, and it needs to be shining everywhere. It's not meant to be hidden. It's, it, it is meant to be revealed. Then he says, the kingdom of God is like this mustard seed. And in the Jewish time, back then, there were all kinds of rules and regulations about what, about what you can and what you cannot do. And one of the rules, the rabbinical rules, was that you are not supposed to plant a mustard seed into your local garden. Because a mustard seed starts taking over stuff. It is a fast-growing, small bush that can take over a whole garden. And for the Jewish people, order equals holiness. And when you start introducing these things that are different and fast-growing and stuff that just takes over... It doesn't equal holiness, and Jesus says, but hold on. That's what the kingdom of God is like when you take a seed, a mustard seed, though it's small and insignificant, and maybe you can't even see it, and when you plant it, that's what the kingdom of God is like. So Jesus is calling for this almost subversive way of dealing with life and dealing with the gospel and living in the kingdom. And now it's at the end of that day, and this is where we pick up Mark. So Jesus has this long haul that he's been living on, and he's exhausted. So read along with me as we we look at Mark, starting at verse 35. That day, when evening had come, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, 
rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet! Be still! Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. It was a long, taxing day for Jesus. He was exhausted. He said to his disciples, Listen, let's get in a boat. Let's leave the crowds behind. Let's go to the other side. It was just a short five-mile journey across the sea. And Jesus said, Let's, let's, let's go to Michigan just for the day, and let's breathe. Let's go to the cottage. Let's just get in the boat and go, okay? Because so I need a breather. And I don't think the disciples had any clue as to what this really meant. Jesus saying, let's go. Get in the boat. Trust me in this. And it says, when evening came, he, he said to his disciples, let's go to the other side. And they left everything behind. The Greek tense shows uh, a lot about, uh, if you know a little bit about Greek, which I'm sure all of you do, um, it, it just, there, there's some urgency when Jesus speaks about his decision to leave. It almost has this image that Jesus is hitting the wall and just saying, okay, I'm tired. The human side of me is exhausted. And he knew he couldn't go on any further. And so what does he do? He hops into the stern of the boat, finds an oarsman's pillow, lays down, and he rests. The disciples hoist up their little meager sails, catch a little bit of breeze, and start heading across heading over to Michigan for a break. And it had to be a beautiful sight because alongside of him, it said that there were others that hopped in other boats to kind of follow along. So there's this little flotilla following after Jesus. These people, man, where's he, what's he going? What's he going to do now? Where's he going? Who's he going to heal? What's he going to speak out against next? And they're following closely. And out of nowhere, their world gets turned upside down. They couldn't have seen it coming. I mean, after all, they had had what they believed was a very important rabbi with them. Some of them were seeing that he was actually could be the Messiah. And so there's a they've heard him speak very powerfully against the Pharisees, against the religious community and he's ushering in a new kind of kingdom so they're thinking man this could be the man did you hear how he spoke let's get in the boat and let's hear what else he has to say but their world was turned upside down because fear kicked in high gear the sea of galilee is 628 feet below sea level and around it there are small mountain a small mountain range where there's deep ravines that just cut in which just allows when there's temperature changes for sudden storms just to kick up 
the Gospel of Matthew describes this, this, uh, this storm with the word seismos, which is the same word we use with... Anybody? What, what? What, huh? Think about seismic activity. Think about uh, earthquakes, seismos. You know, it's like Matthew is describing it as like the sea is shaking. It's nothing like the small little earthquake we had in Illinois. Okay, you know, we're we're all freaking up at you know three o'clock in the morning. Did you feel it? Yeah, it ain't nothing. It's like the whole world, their whole world was just shaking. There were these huge waves that were just going over top. And Matthew described it. It was like an earthquake. The lake was like an earthquake where it was just jumbling all about. And these disciples are going, what in the world? And you've got to understand, these were also very seasoned sailors, many of which were fishermen. And they described it as an earthquake. On the sea. Fear kicks in high gears. As these seasoned sailors, these seasoned fishermen, were going, okay, what do we do? We, do we bail this, throw this out? We've got to keep the boat light. We got, you know, I've seen all these, these uh, pirates of the Caribbean. I know what they have to do. You keep the ship afloat, you throw stuff out. You keep the cannons, that's it. And Jesus is sitting up there, sleeping. As these guys are flying around going, we got to keep this baby up. What do we get? Take down the sail. Throw the sail out. I don't know. What do we do? So there was a huge amount of fear with this sudden storm that just kicked in high gear. They had no idea that at that terrible moment that this miserable storm was to serve as a vehicle for teaching them about God and His power in their lives. The storm, the sudden storm, was essential to their spiritual development. Let me say that again. The storm was essential for their spiritual development. Without difficulties, without trials, without stresses, and even failures, we would never grow to be what we should become. Storms are a natural part of the process of spiritual growth. Some mature believers believe that every spiritual truth, everything that has enhanced their existence, has come through affliction. And they're probably right. If you read anything by C.S. Lewis, you know, he didn't just write the Chronicles of Narnia. But he talks about affliction. He talks about pain and suffering. You read anything by John Piper about the importance of suffering for the sake of spiritual growth. And this storm was a step up for the disciples. It was an opportunity for them to step up in their faith and really to trust and to grow. Even though they didn't know how, they didn't know it was coming. But here's, here's my bet. I'm willing to bet this morning that some of you have some tremendous storms in your life. I'm willing to bet that out of nowhere, you just got nailed. And some of you, maybe you just need to go all the way back to childhood 
where you remember this deep pain, where it's abuse. Disappointment, death, loss. We all have faced or are facing some kind of spiritual storm. The question is, can we be honest and say, yeah, this sucks. The storm has hit me square in between the eyes and out of nowhere. I've got to learn how to react in this process. And the storm continued with all its violence. The sails were now in rags. Everything was awash. They had thrown everything out. And where was Jesus? Isn't that a question you ask in the middle of the storms? For the love of all that's holy, where's God? Where is He in this, this, this storm in my life? Where is He? And where was he? Scripture says he was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Have you ever had that where you're just in the middle of this, what you would call a conflict, a rough time in your life, and you're going, God, where are you? Where are you at? Because right now, I need you right here. I need you dealing with my stuff. I need you to work through all this for me. And you're saying, where are you? God, I'm crying out. Where are you? The storm is just battering from both sides. I feel like I'm sinking. There's water in my boat. I've thrown everything out. I've created a plan for my life to get out of this, and it's just not working. I think we're going down. And there's this question of, God, where are you at in my pain? Where are you at in this deep, dark time because I need you right now and the disciples are looking around going hello we have no more buckets to get the water out we're going down come on Jesus you're sleeping on a pillow we could be throwing that out too and they're saying they're identifying what are what's all going on where is Jesus and he's resting Here we just see, for me, just a remarkable picture for the incarnation. Though in a moment Jesus would stand up, calm the storm with just an extraordinary display of power where he just says, shut up, quit moving. But for now, he first slept in a weary body. In in this grand display the opposites of weakness and omnipotence don't clash. But they just seem to blend into this beautiful harmony that we just can't seem to wrap our minds around. That the Son of God, fully man, fully God, is resting in the midst of a storm. The main point here is that to the disciples, Christ seems to be unaware of their plight. They're just going, Jesus, you're sleeping. Come on, we can hear you sawing away. Get up. And to them, they're just going, he is totally unaware of what's going on. But Christ is resting in absolute perfect peace. 
he's able to rest because he knows that the Father at any moment will wake him and say, now's the time. Hold on. Keep resting. Keep resting. You've had a long day. You keep resting. These idiots haven't got it yet. Just wait. They'll come wake you up. Watch. And Jesus keeps resting. In absolute perfect peace, he remains still, resting his weary body. So often we mistakenly conclude that we're alone. That no one, not even God, knows what is happening and how we're feeling. And your pain and your junk, whatever it is, we, we just have, we just assume that there is nobody that, my friends have no clue, my family has no clue, my coworkers have no clue, my, whoever is around me, they just have no clue. And I am sure that God has no clue because if He had a clue, He would jump in. If God really had a clue, He would jump in and save me from all this misery. He'd save me from my fear. He'd save me from this sure death that I'm going to experience. But here's, here's the deal, that we're, we're wrong. God knows every wave that falls on us. He knows the rate of our hearts, our respiration, the innermost thoughts in our minds, our emotions, and even our dreams. And that tiny boat bearing Christ and His own are the object of the most intimate heavenly attention. cares deeply, even in the storm. But the deal is that the storm is necessary for the disciples' spiritual development. But they learn something. And I love this. These are the guys that just stood back um, watching all Jesus doing these teaching, these gathering the crowds. He's seen them heal people. He's seen them deal with the religious people of the day. And suddenly they get extremely frantic. And you know what it's like. All of a sudden you go, okay, I've got to do something. And they get up and they say, they start shaking it and saying, okay, teacher, hello, don't you care if we drowned? And they're just, I'm assuming, just hoping that he has the right answer. No, I don't. You know? Teacher, don't you care if we drown? You know, that's quite a profound rebuke. It's like, hello, you say you're God, you say you're the Messiah, you say you're ushering in the kingdom of God. Don't you care? Whatever they did, however they woke him up, they with their plea did what the storm could not do. Jesus woke up. And he did it in Hollywood style. You know, he stretches, gets up, looks at the next wave that's about ready to come over the top and says, Stop! Be still. Do you imagine? These guys are just probably drenched with sweat, even though you couldn't tell because they've been nailed with sea water and stuff like that. But they're just sweating. Don't you care, Jesus? Jesus gets up. Stop. Cut it out. And all of a sudden, all the water, this huge wave coming over the top, just goes. 
and it talks in all of the Gospels about how there was just complete calm. Complete calm. Okay, I would be sitting on there with shorts full going, oh dang. What just happened here? Did you you see this? That that was the last one that was going to come over and just kill us. And Jesus said, stop, be still. I'm done with it. And there was complete silence. There was no wind. There was no more waves. Just still. Complete stillness. And Jesus turns to the disciples and says, What's up, guys? You've been with me all along. Matthew, dude, you were a tax collector and I chose you. Come on. I'm choosing unlikely people to come along with me for this great journey. You've been a part of inaugurating the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Don't you get it? I'm God. I am God. But they all have this round-eyed, twilight zone kind of, what's up? Who is this man? The truth was there to see. Though it would take some time and more miracles for them to process it. But the truth was, all power belonged to him. All power belonged to God. Paul, the Apostle Paul, would later explain this in in Colossians. And here it is up here on the screen. It says this, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the creator of everything And he's the sustainer of everything. He's God. Paul is talking in this this great hymn in Colossians about Jesus Christ. Listen, this this is the God. He is the creator. And he's the sustainer. He's God. He's not just this mere man. In him, all things are held together. This is the word that John talks about. In the beginning was the word. The word was God. The word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. He was the creative agent in the beginning. And it takes the disciples a while to get it. This man is not just a man. This is God. The emphasis in this story is on who Jesus is. Not on how he rescues fretful disciples from danger whenever they're crying out. And that's the thing that we've got to remember. Because there's screwy theologies out there that just says, man, if you just cry out to God and you're faithful and you live the right way, God's going to answer your prayer like that. What a bunch of bunk. Explain that to the Apostle Paul who got beat and shipwrecked. And finally executed. Explain that to Peter who was faithful. 
who preached on the Pentecost day where thousands were saved. And what happened? Crucified. Every one of the apostles was, was killed. And I'm sure they're crying out, God, just save me. But they still died. So the emphasis on this story is not on just cry out and God will save you. The emphasis is, who is this Jesus? Who is this man that can still the storm and stop the wind? Peter, who was the principal source for John Mark who wrote this, would one day encourage Christians to welcome trials as friends because they are the real development of the soul. This is what First Peter has to say. Dear friends, do not surprise at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the suffering. It doesn't quite go with our American kind of feel-good kind of stuff. Man, I'd really love it if I could just become a Christian and life just became hunky-dory. And Peter's saying, uh-uh. Be thankful that you participate in the, these sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the name. It's like Peter is saying, listen, I was in the boat. I was in the boat and we almost died. And you want to talk about scary? You want to talk about sure death? But let me tell you, not just about what he did, let me tell you about who he is. He's the Son of God. He's the Creator, the Sustainer, and the Savior. The early church picked up on Mark's intended symbolism. If you look at uh, some of the early art um, found throughout history, many of the, the early artists had these pictures of the church in a boat. They'd create these, these mosaics. They would create these beautiful engravings of the church in a boat with Christ. Early Christian art depicted that the church shares Christ. And Christ shares the boat with us. He's in the boat. He's in the storm. He's in the junk of life. He's in the pain. He's in the fear. He's there. Fear is just natural to the the human situation. And maybe today, there's something just going on in your life where there's just a tremendous amount of fear. A lot of questions, a lot of pain. Perhaps you're you're just fearing life in general because you don't know what's going on. That you might not be adequate for the challenges that are ahead. Maybe it's just this real fear of, You fill in the blank. The winds of your life are just howling. And out of nowhere, there's a storm. And it seems like there's absolutely no hope on the horizon. 
So the question is, what should you do? And I think for me, it's understand and believe that through it is through these storms, through these afflictions, through these hardships, through these the junk of your life, the challenges, it's through all these things that you grow. Summer staff, you're in a really nice place right now. You haven't seen one kid. You haven't met one parent. You haven't experienced the heat of Manitoba or the deluge. You haven't been under tremendous spiritual attack. But I'm going to tell you, it's going to happen. There's going to be pain. There's going to be questions. There's going to be unexpected things that just come out. The question is, what do you do with those? Because without these experiences of pain, hardship, challenge, you're just going to be held captive to the terrible tyranny of you. You've got to understand that Christ wants to develop you through the storms that are ahead. You need to know that He is completely capable of delivering you with just a single word. You need to know that He is in the boat with you. And the beautiful thing about a relationship with Christ is He's not just in the boat with you. He's in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We need to be able to exercise this kind of faith and lay down your fears. For when this faith is active, fear seems to vanish. For me, 41 is the only thing that I highlighted, verse 41. And it says this, They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The question that you've got to be asking this this morning is, Who is this Christ that I'm serving this summer? Who is this Christ that I've given my life to and desiring to be faithful with in all that I do? Who is this Christ who is able to speak to the wind and say, you're done. The waves, you're done. Who is that Christ? Because the fear of the Lord is really the beginning of all understanding, of all wisdom. If we have our fear in the right place, the fear of God, a right fear of God, a right understanding of the immensity of the power and the ability of God to enter in and to handle all. It's when that is in its right place that right worship takes place. When we understand who God is, we have no fear of sharing the gospel. We have no fear of making those changes in our lives. We have no fear of 
putting to death the sin, the junk in our life, because we know that God is faithful. When we have the right fear in place, worship erupts. And I'm not just talking about a great worship service. Because that's what a lot of us think. Worship erupts. That's right. Hands up. Hallelujah. You know, come on. Life is all of worship. Worship is, sorry, worship is all of life. Everything that you do, every breath that you breathe, every person you're in contact with, in dialogue with, every person that you're serving, everything that you do comes out of this understanding of who this God is that is in you, that is in the boat with you, that has the ability to stand up and say, be still. So this morning, where is your faith? Is your faith in what you can accomplish and what you can do? Or is your faith found deeply in the heart of Christ? That when the storms of life, the junk of life, just come out of nowhere, you can say, man, this is awful, and I'm going to bear with it because he's in the boat with me, and at the right time he will respond in the right way. I just need to be faithful in the now. I need to keep my eyes fixed on the author and the perfecter of my faith who may be seemingly sleeping in the stern. But I need to keep my eyes fixed on him because he's the one that will guide me through this storm. He is it. <laughs> So how do we respond? We respond in musical worship. But we also respond in mission. See, the beautiful thing for us is that we know how this ends. And the beautiful thing is in Revelation, it talks about this king on a throne at the end who just says, this is it. This is my kingdom. I win. Can you trust that kind of a God? And if that's the end of the story, how do we leave these these doors? How do we go out of this place and join Him in whatever He's calling us to do? In our workplaces, in our marriages. In our relationships, and trust me, there's going to be strange relationships going on over here, okay? In our relationships. How do we respond to this God who's calling, hey, trust me? And honestly, it's for each individual to respond in your own unique way. So enough is said. We're going to worship. Worship a God. That is just amazing. Who calms the storms by a single word. Let's pray. God, it seems to me that uh, the greatest problems in our life are the problems that are within us. 
not the, the problems around us, but really, God, it becomes a heart issue. It's often our unbelief that causes fear. And that fear makes us question whether you really care. God, give us the eyes of the disciples who said in verse 41, Who is this man? Give us the right fear, the right understanding of you, the creator, the sustainer, the author, the perfecter, the alpha, the omega, the God who is before time, in time, and after time. God, give us that kind of a view of you so that, Lord, that we just worship you with all of our lives, with tremendous vibrancy and lack of fear. God, I pray for your church, this body right here, that as we leave this place, that we go with a certain faithfulness and obedience to you. God, may we just, uh, day by day, minute by minute, week by week, just grow more and more just in love with you and feel compelled to join you on your mission in our world, in our context. God, may we be found faithful today. But God, we are going to worship you with our voices, with our hands and our bodies. May you be pleased with these simple words of praise and adoration to an amazing God. Pray this in Jesus' name.